Will Westerkow, and you're listening to This Is Modern Rock. I'm joined today by Christy Balzer. Hello. Hi, Will. Hi, welcome. Thanks. Christy is the executive director of the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls in Portland, Oregon. Yes. Did you have to show your rock and roll credentials to get that job? Was... <laughs> Thank goodness, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, I don't have any rock and roll credentials, uh, sadly. I picked up one or two things in the two years that I've been the executive director, but prior to coming to Portland, I ran a historic light station okay. for five years and was the executive director there. So I had some nonprofit cred that I think uh, won me the job. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you say historic light? Yeah, a lighthouse, essentially. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. I got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trying to picture what that was. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, this is a summer camp? Primarily, yes. We have four weeks of summer camp. They are week-long day camps for girls, transgender, and gender nonconforming youth. Our campers learn a rock instrument like guitar, bass, drums, keys, vocals. They form a band. They write an original song, and then they perform live at the end of the week at a local Portland venue. That sounds like a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And you said that they're learning their instrument, so they can come in with no experience. Is that doable? Most of our campers, ones who are coming for the first time, often have no experience with an instrument at all. So it doesn't matter. We will teach you everything you need to know to be able to shred by the end of the wow, week. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know. Let's just say there's some listeners who are interested in signing up. What, where should they go? What should they do? They should visit our website, which is girlsrockcamp.org and click over to our summer camp page. It will tell you what summer camp is all about. Um, there's information there about our tuition assistance program and there is a link to registration. Our summer camp registration for this summer is already open. So if folks are interested in signing up their campers, they can do that right now. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. One thing I looked up, I was curious when I heard about Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, if this predated School of Rock. It does. It does. It was all started right here, actually. We were the original Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, started in 2001. Um, our founder, Misty McElroy, was a Portland State University student, and she started the program as a capstone project. And since then, it has grown worldwide. There's now over 100 camps, just like ours, and also an international organization that sort of helps out all the other camps and uh, keeps track of everyone and uh, hosts an annual conference. Uh, so. Yeah. It's kind of a big movement now. Wow, very cool. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to be talking today about March 1990. March 1990, and okay. And just to give you some sense, flash you back to 1990. A long time ago. Um, what was going on? Mikhail Gorbachev was nominated as the first president of Soviet Russia. Mm. Lithuania declares its independence. Well, good for them. Yeah, but fantastic. <laughs> and topping the Hot 100... Alana Miles with Black Velvet. Oh. You remember that one? Yes. Black Velvet. Yeah, I tried yeah. to sing that karaoke once. Oh. It was not good. No. Okay. I okay. don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's jump into some music. What do okay. you say? The number one song for the month of March, for almost all of March, mm -hmm. was actually Peter Murphy's Cuts You Up, hmm. which we covered last episode. Oh. And it just kind of dominated the charts for quite a while. Okay. But at the very end of the month... For one week, Sinead O'Connor tops the charts. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sinead O'Connor is an Irish singer. She grew up in an abusive household. And at a young age, age of 15, she was sent to what's called a Magdalene Asylum, Whoa. which is a house for fallen women. 
Okay. It's weird to me that this is a thing that still existed at this time period. But oh, yeah. This is in Ireland. Mm. It's a pretty conservative country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, like, if they had houses for fallen men? That just wouldn't be... A... No, of course they wouldn't have houses <laughs> for fallen men. <laughs> yeah. Men don't fall. Yeah. But anyway, I think I think mostly fallen, quotation marks fallen, really means that they got pregnant and they weren't married. But in yes. this case, she was busted a few times for shoplifting and oh. truancy. Yeah. And so mm. they needed to straighten her out, I guess. They sent her there. My goodness. Um, but while she was there, she actually made a few connections. She did some singing and some people recognized the talent that she had. And mm-hmm. she gets picked up by a manager who was formerly U2's manager. So one of her first assignments actually ended up being co-writing a song with The Edge ah. for, the, for the soundtrack to the movie The Captive. In 1987, she releases her debut album called The Lion and the Cobra. And I think it should be noted that in addition to writing or co-writing all of these songs and obviously singing on them, she also played electric guitar and she arranged them and she co-produced and co-mixed the album. And she was 20 years old and pregnant with her first child at the time all of this was going on. That is remarkable. It is remarkable. It really is. Yeah. Even still today in the music industry is very male dominated, obviously. And women musicians do not have an all-encompassing hand Mm -hmm. in the production of their music as much as male artists do. And certainly not at that time. It was really unusual for a woman to have that much control Mm -hmm. over her art. Right. Yeah. So that is, that's quite remarkable. Yeah. So in March, 1990, O'Connor releases, I do not want what I haven't got. That's her second album. And it goes to number one on the billboard 200. Wow. It ends up going double platinum and it wins a whole bunch of awards and acclaim and a huge part of the success of this album is the lead single, Nothing Compares to You. Right. I think a lot of people know this was a song written by Prince. Mm-hmm. But I always assumed that it was written for Sinead O'Connor. Like he heard her voice somewhere and thought, oh, oh wow, I should give, I should write this song for her because she's pretty talented and that mm. would be cool. That's not where it came from at all. Oh. Prince actually wrote this song for a side project of his called The Family. And it was released in 1985 on The Family's one and only album. And it was not a single. The album was not particularly successful. Mm-hmm. And somehow Sinead O'Connor's manager digs this song up. And it ends up going not just to number one on the modern rock charts, but also to number two on the adult contemporary charts. And it eventually goes to number one on the Hot 100. Yeah. So really, really big hit. And I guess I should also mention that after she recorded this song, Prince invited Sinead O'Connor to his house And rather than congratulate her or whatever, he actually kind of gets on her case for public swearing. (laughs) He says, really? Yeah, that's not that's not cool. You shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) And she gets mad at him and they get into a bit of a fight. And oh, wow. See, now I would have my question was, did he sue her? You know, yeah, not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of music without permission. I mean, that's what I would have assumed. But No, we're going to admonish you for swearing in public. That's really interesting. (laughs) It is because, I mean, if you think of Prince, I mean, he puts a lot out there sexually. Oh, he's totally pushing boundaries. Yeah. You know, he he did. He was a boundary pusher in many ways. So, yes, it is surprising that that would be his concern. Yeah. (laughs) Don't say those words in front of the kiddos. Right. Sinead. (laughs) I know. How dare she? Okay. Well, let's go ahead and listen to the song. This is Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. All right. 
Nothing compares to you. That song just kills me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a really good song. It is a really good song. Her voice is, it's beautiful. I think it's really powerful. The first time I heard that song, I was probably, I don't know, 16, mm-hmm. actually. And my sister was playing it. Mm. And, you know, I, I mostly wasn't into the music she was into. And I just remember feeling kind of weird because I go, I I think I really like this song. And I don't think I should because I'm, you know, I'm into like Nirvana or whatever. Oh, I don't know what yeah. it is. I'm into the, all these guys that are angry about stuff. And there's a, this lady with this, you know, just incredible sweet voice and this pop song. And yeah. I, I can't help liking this song yeah. and I like want to find someone to slow dance with. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not, I don't want to slow dance to this song. This song is like, <laughs> it's like heartbreak to it, me. Yeah. It just, you know, it's that feeling of, you know, you've just been totally ripped to shreds by somebody who you thought was completely in love with you. And, you know, you thought this is it for me, man. And yeah. then it's just, you're thrown aside and Yeah. There's so much emotion in that song. Yeah, and it, I feel like it almost doesn't matter what music's going on in the background behind her. Or her her no, voice is just taken over, and totally. yeah, yeah, I absolutely. I mean, she could she could have sung it without any accompaniment at all, and it would have been yeah. just as powerful. Her yeah, her range and the tone, you know, the tonal quality of her voice is just mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. I think. It's no wonder that it went to the top of all the charts. Yeah. But it's also fairly unique. I mean, you hear it, you know it's her. She does some things with her voice that are probably not standard singing practice, I guess. There's no mistaking her. Yeah. I don't think in any of her songs you wouldn't listen to it and be like, is that Sinead O'Connor? I'm not sure. (laughs) You pretty much always know. Yeah. That's who it is. Yeah. It's interesting to me that it's on this modern rock chart because to me it's a ballad and Mm -hmm. it is very poppy in that way. So... It's interesting that it crossed over. Right. And I think that's because Sinead O'Connor was considered a modern rock artist up until this point. This was kind of a surprise hit for her. But it's also worth noting that this is one month and number one on the modern rock charts in the month of March. Mm -hmm. And then in the month of April, it leaves the modern rock charts, but then goes to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. So it kind of for moved four weeks. over. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Like it got its start and then right. started being circulated right. around. And, and once it was on pop radio, the modern rock listener said, nah, we're done. Oh yeah, it. we don't like it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're on the wrong chart now. Yeah. <laughs> we're over you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. That's the only number one song we're going to hear for the month. Oh. We're going to move on to a song that peaked at number six. Mm. It's by a band called The Mission or The Mission UK mm-hmm. to people in the US. And they're an English goth rock band formed in 1986. Yeah. You a Mission UK fan? No, no. I'd never heard of this band. No. <laughs> you did some, did you do some research? Did you I listen did to a, them? I did. Yeah, yeah. I did listen to them. And this is not the kind of music that I would have been listening to in 1990. That's okay. for sure. <laughs> um, 
I thought this was pretty cool. The mission are led by this guy, Wayne Hussey, and he was an early member of the band Dead or Alive. Hmm. And you might remember them from their big hit, You Spin Me Round, oh, like a record. Yeah. You Spin Me Round. Oh, round. Yeah, yeah, that's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, crazy. Although I think he left before they actually had that big hit. But he was with the band when they recorded their first UK Top 40 hit, which was a cover of Casey and the Sunshine Band's That's the Way I Like It. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. After that, Hussey joined the gothic rock band The Sisters of Mercy. I do remember Sisters of Mercy. And Hussey and Sisters of Mercy bassist Craig Adams left the band in 1986. They formed The Sisterhood, mm-hmm. which, which I think is a really strange name for when a band of guys. Well, like. plus when you're leaving Sisters of Mercy and you join The Sisterhood, it's yeah. a little too close. And right. I think that was the problem. So they ended up changing their band to The Mission. Hussey apparently was a Mormon living oh. in England, which I didn't know that was a thing, but I guess it is. <laughs> for Mormons to live in England. Yeah, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> What I heard was the band, the mission was named after the missions that oh, young Mormon men go on. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was jumping to the conclusion that they were Catholic. Sure. And it was about, you know, Catholic well, missions. Well, you lived in San Luis Obispo, so that, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. all the missions were Catholic. <laughs> Yeah. And they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess he graduated high school. It was time to go on his mission. And they're like, go off to some third world country and help some people. He's like, I'm going to join a band instead. And go to England. That's my mission. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> so in 1990, the Mission UK released their third album called Carved in Sand. And this was their most wow. successful. <laughs> That's a terrible name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it brings an image to your mind. I don't know if it's a gothic image. No, it doesn't sound very gothic no. to me. But I mean, I don't know that much about gothic music. So Sure. So this was their most successful album. And the single we're going to hear today, it's their second single from the album. And it's called Deliverance. Yeah, there we go on that. Along those religious themes again. Yeah, that's a more gothic title. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hear it. Here's Mission UK with Deliverance. 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 Yeah. The theme song to the movie Deliverance. Oh, no. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Those aren't even from the right decade. No, you're right. (laughs) What'd you think? You know, I think that, like I said, it probably wasn't something that I would have been listening to in 1990, Mm -hmm. but maybe like two years earlier, I would have been listening to something like that for sure. There definitely was a time where I was into that sort of harder Mm -hmm. rock music, which is when I was younger, actually, because, you know, the influence of a friend's older brother. Right. Yeah. You know, listening to things like this and then even harder stuff too, Sex Pistols and Jello Biafra and, yeah. you know, things like that. Do you think if you had been introduced to this song at the right age, you would have had a goth phase? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Goth isn't really in my character. Okay. <laughs> 
No, I'm a, I'm a girl from the suburbs. It's, okay. Yeah, I'm not really in there, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry to disappoint you. You don't, you don't have to be goth to <laughs> listen to the mission. You can. Good, that's yeah. good. I, I, I'm glad of that because, yeah, I might even enjoy listening to that now. I yeah. don't, you know, my musical tastes are definitely more varied now than they were when I was 15. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. appreciate things like that. So, I think the song had some crossover appeal, right? Yeah, there's good, some good instrumentation in there and it's not too hard so right. yeah you know they could have played this at like the school dance and mm-hmm. we could have gotten into that <laughs> yeah i think the first thing i thought of and this probably seems super obvious but as soon as the song started and you started singing i i thought of peter murphy and oh, yeah. that, that obviously makes a lot of sense peter murphy sort of is responsible for goth rock as a genre mm-hmm. in the first place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so it would make sense if other people were heavily influenced by him yeah in the, in the same genre yeah know? for sure yeah you can definitely see that there or yeah. hear that there. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. Did you hear any glam rock influence? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I'm not sure that I did either, but when I was doing research, I found out that the Wayne Hussey was a huge T-Rex fan growing up. Really? And that that was actually what inspired him. Mark Boland inspired him to pick up a guitar in the first place. That's interesting. I don't mean, you know, personally. I just mean no, like, yeah. No, right, like he listened to the music. Yeah. No, there's no glam rock Maybe in some of their other songs you can hear that, but this song is really modern. Yeah. It's very rock. Right, yeah. yeah. But when this album was reissued in 2008, they included a bonus disc, and the bonus disc features a live show from 1989 where The Mission performs under the band name The Metal Gurus. (laughs) And they do an entire set of glam rock cover songs by bands like David Bowie and Brian Ferry, T-Rex, Sweet, Slade. Really? All of those glam rock. It's just an all glam rock cover show from the mission. That sounds amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for those of you who are into both goth rock and glam rock, it's the perfect CD to pick up. Yeah. Yeah, Wow. 2008 reissue of... Carved in sand. Carved in sand. Yeah. It's still a terrible name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Our next song also hit number six on the modern rock charts. It's mm-hmm. by a band called The Beloved. Right. Would you say The Beloved or The Beloved? The Be- I would say The Beloved. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to go with. But the Beloved. It also then reminds me of the book by Toni Morrison when you say it that way as yeah. well. So I'm it's not quite Inspired sure. by the book, clearly. I doubt that. so this happens fairly frequently actually i'm trying to do research on a band and i can find almost nothing about them yeah i was trying to do a little bit of homework and they are on spotify but not a lot of other information like their wikipedia page is almost blank yeah but there was one really interesting fact and i tried to do research i dug deep into the internet and i could find nothing to substantiate this but i thought it was so fun i'd share it anyway Unsubstantiated. According to Wikipedia, (laughs) which is something I say too much on this show. Yeah. In 1983, John Marsh placed an advertisement in the music press, which read as follows. I am John Marsh, founder, member of The Beloved. Should you two wish to do something gorgeous, meet me in exactly three years' time at exactly 11 a.m. in Diana's Diner, or site thereof, Covent Garden, London, WC2. Yeah. <laughs> I read that too. And I was like, okay, well, yeah. that's intriguing. Yeah. Would I go and mark my calendar for three years and 
Go expect something gorgeous to happen. I do want to do something gorgeous. (laughs) Yes. Three years from now. Who has a who has a calendar three years ahead though? That's the problem. (laughs) I don't know. You'd have to like write the date on your wall or something, maybe. And like, okay. And then hope you didn't move out of that flat right before the date. Or paint over it. Yeah. (laughs) Like what was that for again? Something gorgeous? Diana's diner? I don't know what that was. They have good coffee, but yeah, I don't yeah, know so, about it being gorgeous. So I actually don't know what happened after that. It wasn't really clear. It's a mystery. But the band did form in 1986. They were originally called The Journey Through. Okay. Yep. And uh, they were kind of a New Order copycat band at first. Yeah. By 1990, though, they had moved away from synth pop toward more of an acid house techno direction. Mm-hmm. And in 1990, they released their second album, Happiness. Oh, that's such a departure from carved in sand (laughs) yeah so what are you thinking like what kind of music would you expect here a band called the beloved and their album's called happiness is this are these ironic names is this are we taking this at face value maybe they're a kids band yeah (laughs) yeah i don't know so we're gonna listen to the second single from happiness it was called hello and there are so many songs called hello You could do like the most mega mashup of all time just with songs called Hello. That's next episode. Okay. It's all Hello songs. (laughs) All right. Let's listen to it. Here is The Beloved with Hello. Sometimes I feel we must be going So I actually like this song. Mm -hmm. I listened to this song on Spotify and then I just kind of kept listening to them because, you know, that's a sound that feels really familiar to me. You know, Mm -hmm. it's very like reminds me of Erasure and kind of what you were saying before those sort of 80s synth pop bands. Yeah. I think I must have gotten introduced to those actually after I got introduced to Depeche Mode. Okay. Which happened when I moved to California. And then sort of, you know, those other bands kind of all rolled in there. So it reminds me of that. And it's kind of easy listening, really. You know, like, It's easy to listen to. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good because if you listen really closely, then you start to kind of go, what in the heck is this guy even singing about? Yeah. So he mentions a lot of names. Yeah. A lot of the names as an American listener, I would just have no idea who he's mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. Although I did catch a number. Freddie Flintstone was in there. Okay, I didn't catch that. Mork and, Mork Mindy. and Mindy. I mm-hmm. caught that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting. It'd be interesting to know, like, what was your inspiration for this song? You just wanted to rhyme some names together or... Yeah, exactly. Are they, are they people that made them happy? Yeah, it's like a shout out to all those people yeah. or something. Or know. as you suggested while we were listening... Is it a modern rock version of Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire? Yeah, right. It's just all this stuff rolled together because it happened to rhyme. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, when I listen to this, I hear some early Nine Inch Nails, both in some of the percussion Mm -hmm. that's going on, but also in his delivery. Yeah, I could totally feel that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. And this is Nine Inch Nails. Their first album came out the same year, so Mm -hmm. they're working at the same time. Uh, Is this like... um, Isaac Newton and Leibniz coming up with calculus <laughs> apart but simultaneously or is mm. one of them being inspired by the other? Mm. 
And which one is which? We don't. Really I don't know. know. Where going. Well, and also, I mean, in this case, they're probably being inspired by other, you know, some of the predecessors from the eighties as well. So sure. And if they're contemporaries, maybe listening to the same things when they were, you know, ten, right? <laughs> inspired yeah. by them, but. Yeah, I like this. I dig this song. Yeah, I like the melody of it. It's got a sing-along chorus. Mm -hmm, For sure, yeah. It's nice to listen to. It's got the shout-out to Desmond Tutu. Yeah, and John Paul Sartre. Uh You know, throw in some social theory there. Good to go. Yeah. (laughs) All right, let's go on to our fourth and final song. Is it Oingo Boingo? It is. Fantastic. Yeah. In this case, it's because this is really Oingo Boingo's last stand on the modern rock charts. Oh, and then what chart did they move to after that? Not much of any chart, really. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, we must just assume because Danny Alfman mm-hmm. is so successful that right. the band itself also right. is really successful. And also because you know almost all their songs, I feel like. I yeah. think I know like all their songs. All of their songs? Yeah. Really? Wow. <laughs> you are you're an Oingo Boingo super fan. I, I actually was at their farewell concert in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Perfect. And, uh, God, what year was that? It would have been like 93 or 94. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I remember it so well because they sang one of the songs twice. And we were all like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> you know, was, was it Was it because it was their biggest hit and they were... No, no, no it wasn't one of their bigger um, Be- Because I songs. I saw Dishwalla once at the State Fair oh, okay. and they, they played Counting Blue Cars four times. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> they were stoned. Yeah. <laughs> so we mentioned Danny Elfman. This band mm-hmm. actually predates Danny Elfman. Yeah. The origins of Oingo Boingo go all the way back to a performance art slash theater slash music troupe formed by Richard Elfman, that's Danny's brother, oh, in 1972. Okay. And they were originally wow. called the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's the appropriate response. <laughs> At some point, Richard decides to move on to filmmaking and he hands the troupe over to his younger brother, Danny Elfman, mm-hmm. who had recently returned from studying percussion in Africa. Oh, okay. And of course. In 1976, <laughs> they appeared on the Gong Show and they won. Wow. Yeah, and I, really? watched, I watched that clip and it was amazing. Dancing and sword fights and- Okay, uh, I'm gonna have to look that yeah, up. That sounds it's, amazing. It's, it's crazy. So in 1980, Richard Elfman attempted to capture the group's performance style by directing them in a film called Forbidden Zone, in which Danny played Satan. Yeah, okay, that's, I can see that. Yep. Yeah. In 1981, the band, they had settled on their shortened name, Oingo Boingo, Mm -hmm. and they settled into being more of a ska-influenced art rock band rather than like a whole theater troupe kind of thing. Okay. And they released their first album, Only a Lad. I remember that. They also appeared in the concert film, Erg, A Music War. That is fantastic. I love that movie. It's so good. I want a modern day band to choose that as their name. Just Erg. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and they performed Ain't This the Life in that movie. And really, that's what won me over to Oingo Boingo when I saw that movie Uh and saw that performance of that song. And I said, wow, these guys are really good. This is this is great. Wow. So by the mid 80s, Oingo Boingo, they seemed poised for breakthrough success. They had appeared in the 1984 Tom Hanks film Bachelor Party. My husband made me watch that terrible movie. (laughs) They also appeared in 1986 in the Rodney Dangerfield comedy Back to School. Okay, yeah. Yeah, remember that one? 
getting worse. Uh, in 1985, <laughs> they released their biggest album, Dead Man's Party, which yep. included the minor hit Weird Science. Which is Danny Elfman's least favorite of all the songs they ever did right. is Weird Science. But probably one of their most well-known because it was in it the John Hughes movie, Weird Science. Which is a great movie. Yeah. Classic John Hughes film. Yeah, totally. Perhaps most importantly, though, in 1985, Danny Elfman agreed to do the film score for Tim Burton's film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, okay. I love that movie, mm-hmm. and I think the score is really memorable. Yeah, and well, that movie scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Yeah, and that led to a really close working relationship between Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. Yeah. Danny Elfman ended up doing tons of film scores. Oh, yeah. Obviously, that's going to pull him away from the band, Yeah. right? So it's actually interesting to me that he's still in Oingo Boingo by 1990 because by this point, Oingo Boingo has released six albums, but Danny Elfman has scored the Grammy-winning Batman soundtrack. Mm-hmm. He also scored Dick Tracy, Beetlejuice. Yeah. And I think maybe his greatest musical achievement of all, he did the theme song for The Simpsons. Well, yes, I suppose if you want to talk about commercial success, then yeah, it would be, yeah, yeah. it would be, because <laughs> what is that, like the longest running show in history? Yeah. I Aren't think, they still making new episodes of The yeah, Simpsons? Yeah. I can't imagine what season they're on, 30 something. I have no knows. idea. But that was in 1989 that he did that. So he's, he's already done the theme for The Simpsons. Wow. He's done all these movies. He's still doing Oingo Boingo. Gosh, that seems like, I mean, it is a long time ago, but. And. I mentioned this earlier, but they were not really that successful of a band. They had mm-hmm. no album that charted higher than number 71 on the album charts. What? That's and they, crazy. And they never had a top 40 single. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. It's really surprising. <laughs> yeah. So in 1990, they released their album, Dark at the End of the Tunnel. Mm. And this was a move away from synths, and there were a lot more ballads. Mm-hmm. Danny Elfman's 37 at the time. Mm. So you can kind of... Feel the end of this maybe coming soon. I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's mellowing out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> In his old age. 37-year-olds, they don't need synths. They no. need ballads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Quiet music to, you know, read by candlelight or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, let's hear the song. This is Oingo Boingo with their number 15 modern rock hit, When the Lights Go Out. Oh, my goodness. Taking all the windows, just me, cause it's fun, just me, cause it's fun, just me, cause it's fun. one of their best songs no just go ahead and say (laughs) yeah i mean i think it it had some interesting things about it Mm -hmm. but no it's not like a top boingo boingo song no and it's not i mean if you hear it you know it's them because danny elfman has such a distinct voice but it's not one of the ones that you recognize right away as an oingo boingo song you Mm -hmm. know it's not dead man's party or right weird science yeah and then while we were listening discovering the that last album boingo I just Boingo. <laughs> yeah, Oingo what Boingo, a, they keep shortening the name. They they yeah. went to Boingo for their, what, what year did I say that was? 94. 94 for the 94 release. Yeah. Do you think we'll so. ever see a, a reunion tour where they just go boing? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, although, you know, Danny Elfman is, uh, he's pretty busy. And yeah, that's true. Kind of really moved on, I think, from all of that. Did you know he has not won an Oscar for Best Score? 
I'm that shocked does not su- really outraged. Yeah, outraged, sure, yeah. but I'm not surprised. Okay. Like, I'm really not surprised by that at all. No, it's he should because have Because of, well, agreed, absolutely. But the movies that he writes scores for are not Oscar-nominated movies. Not usually, no. Yeah, no. no. So I'd be willing to sad. bet he gets a Lifetime Achievement Award at some point in the maybe. future. Yeah. yeah, maybe. When he's really old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, when they go, oh, he looks like he's about to die, and uh, we haven't... We've never no. honored him. We should Danny probably... Probably throw you a bone there, Danny Elfman. <laughs> yeah. <Fucking> Academy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so we got some listeners, and they're, they're putting together their digital modern rock collection. Let's talk about these four songs. What should they download? What should they skip? Well, gosh. Yeah. Sinead O'Connor's a given. You kind of have right to yeah. have that on there. And, you know, for me personally, I think you should have the entire Oingo Boingo over, right? Yeah, just just get it all? Yeah, because mm-hmm. one, you there's not that much, so right. go ahead and just get it all. <laughs> but also just because I, I personally think it's so good and there's such a talented group. The Mission UK, I think you would definitely want that in your collection because to me that feels very modern rock. Mm-hmm. It feels like exactly the right song for that list gotta get some goth rock in there right. to, to fill it out yeah. yeah and those were some you know they were some hair guys they had some big old hair going on too <laughs> so that's yeah that's appropriate there are better bands from that period that are doing the same thing that beloved is doing mm-hmm. i think you could skip it okay yeah you could do better sure yeah that being said still a fine song but yeah. probably not essential modern rock no i don't think so okay <laughs> yeah all right, I guess that wraps things up. If anyone would like to find out more about Rock and Roll Camp for Girls in Portland, Oregon, they should go to girlsrockcamp.org. And if anyone wants to get in contact with me, they can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. I'd like to thank Christy Balzer for coming on the show. Thanks, thank you. Well, this was really fun. Yeah. And I guess that's it. See you next time. All right. Bye. Thanks.